Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Hey, I want to speak to you this morning from the subject, if you're taking notes, a family Christmas, a family Christmas. This is a time of year where we all focus on family, um, but we don't really focus on these verses, and that's why I want to preach from them this morning. If you stick with me, I want to read uh, uh, some passages of Scripture you probably have skipped over your whole life, okay? But I think there's some gold that we can mine out of these, and it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 16, okay? Stay with me. Stay awake on these. We're going to read the genealogy of Jesus, okay? And so this is it. Verse 1 says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, uh, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Sal- Salmon, Salmon, I don't know, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. You still with me? Okay, stay with me. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Almost there. Stick with me. Five more verses after the exile to Babylon. Jeconia was the father of Sheltiel. I don't know who came up with these names. Sheltiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abahud. Abahud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph and husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Amen. So good, right? No? Okay. Well, anyways, I want to preach from these this morning for, for one reason. First reason, I'm very rebellious. And I had, a, um, I had a college professor in Bible college who said there's three types of scripture that I would suggest avoiding when you're preaching a sermon. He said the first uh, passage of scripture that I would avoid is any scripture that your audience isn't really familiar with. Like, you know, the pages of your Bible that are still stuck together in like the book of Amos or um, maybe Habakkuk or, or the book of Leviticus. Some of these things, he said, because when you preach from these, you spend so much time getting your audience familiar with context and, and what the story is all about that you get to spend very little time actually applying the scripture to their life. And the second type of verse he said to avoid preaching is a verse that your audience is so familiar with that whether you're super saved or you, you've never even been to church, you probably know these verses. You know, like uh, everyone, whether you're an atheist or a Christian, you probably know Noah had an ark, right? Um, yeah, he did. Look it up. It's in there. I promise. Shocked somebody this morning. You probably know that David killed Goliath, and you probably know that the Bible states that Jesus is born from a virgin, a virgin Mary, And so whether you know these things or not, it's hard to preach to someone from verses that they know so well because they're just so familiar with them. And the third type of verse he said to avoid when preparing sermons and preaching is he said to avoid the genealogies. It sounds like a list of diseases. So you just heard me read it. And he said, avoid these because, um, and many of you, you probably have, you probably skip past these on your one-year 
Bible reading plans that you go through, you probably think to yourself, I don't need to read that. You know, because it's just baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy. And my teacher, he said, um, just skip the list. But like I said, I'm rebellious, so here we are. We're going to talk about the list because I think the list is important. I think we could easily skip it, but I think that there's power in this list. I think that the, every single word in the scripture is from God. I think it's my biblical mandate to preach this list. I think it's my biblical mandate to not skip over any scriptures, but to be ready to preach any of them. Second Timothy tells us in chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I think there's hidden revelation in, this, in these verses. And I think it's important that we don't skip the list because every word, every sentence, every paragraph, every punctuation in the Bible has power in it because it's the word of God. You could, you could preach the table of contents in the Bible if you wanted to. I mean, think about it. Genesis, we have a God who knows how to start something, okay? But not only that, Exodus, we have a God who, who's a God of the exit, that if you got into something, we have a God who can get you out. You could preach anything in the scripture, any punctuation, even these, this list. And I think if you skip the list that, that you're not going to know what Christmas is actually all about. If you want to fully understand Christmas, you got to understand this list and the revelation that's in it this morning. Without Jesus, without his family tree, you would have no Christmas tree. We would have no celebration of Jesus coming if it wasn't for this family tree. And you can skip the list this Christmas if you want just like I want to skip wrapping gifts this Christmas. Anybody else that wants to skip wrapping gifts this Christmas? That was a heavy amen I got there for that. How many of you are really good gift wrappers? Anybody? Okay. I hate you people. Anybody else that doesn't know how to wrap gifts? Thank you. These are my people, okay? I don't know if like in pre-K we missed the day where like the craft was gift wrapping or what, but I don't, it stresses me out having to wrap gifts. It just stresses me out. I don't understand. Here's an example. Um, because I think we can skip this process that we've submitted ourselves to. I don't think it's biblical. Right? It doesn't talk about wrapping anything. I don't think the three wise men brought the gold wrap. We don't see that in Scripture. But an example, you, you have a friend and you say, what do you want for Christmas? Someone you care about deeply. And they say, I want a toaster. And you're like, a toaster? I thought you have a toaster. I do have a toaster, but it doesn't have Wi-Fi. I want one with Wi-Fi. That well, you, just, you just put the toast in there and you say to it, Siri, let's get toasty. And it just toasts it for you. It's awesome. It's a new thing. And so you're like, okay. So you go to the store because you care about this person. You see the toaster with Wi-Fi. You buy it and, and already you see the box and you're already sizing it up, right? Like, okay, how am I going to wrap this thing? Um, and I'm already thinking about this and I think, do I want to pay the department store to wrap it? But that costs as much as the toaster. So I'm like, no, I'm wrapping this myself. And then I go home and, and I go looking for 15 sheets of wrapping paper because that's what it's going to take me. Um, I go looking for the scissors that are never in the drawer that they're supposed to be in because I have kids. And so I go looking for the scissors. Then I go looking for the scotch tape that I only use once a year to wrap gifts on Christmas, okay? And I find out I'm out, so I go to the store. I get the scotch tape. I come back. I have everything together that I need, um, then I spend an hour trying to find the end of the tape because it's never right, right, it's never on the reel where you wanted it. And then once I'm done, I wrap this thing up, and I'm going to tell you the corners are never even. 
Like there's bunches in different places. It's loose. Um, I'm sweating. I have anxiety. And now I got to put a bow on this thing. And so what I do is I've seen people who know how to wrap and they take the ribbon and the scissors and they go, and it's a nice little like curly tail thing. It's awesome. And so I think to myself, this is what I'm going to do. I try it. I cut my thumb open. Now there's blood all over the wrapping paper. That's why I always use red wrapping paper. Okay. Just in case. Then I go to the person, I'm sweating, I have anxiety, I'm bleeding, and I say, Merry Christmas. And then what happens? 15 seconds later, the thing that I took 15 hours to prepare and wrap, all the wrapping paper is on the ground. But what makes it worth it is when I look at their face and they say, a toaster. How did you, how did you know? And it's all worth it, but I've asked my wife and she's told me it does matter how you give a gift, how you prepare the gift you're giving. You can't just give a gift in Walmart bags, which is what I think is a better idea that this Christmas we just give it in the bag we bought it in, right? It's already wrapped. Presentation matters, as my wife says, but, but I, I need you to know this morning that the way you present a gift matters, and the greatest gift God has ever given us, his son Jesus Christ, was wrapped up in the wrapping paper of the genealogy of Jesus. And unless you start to unwrap it and unfold it, you will never know the beauty of the gift he actually gave you. And I think this morning that, that if we begin to look at this and we talk about this list, we can learn so much. And the first thing I want to ask you is, who wrote this list? Bible scholars, who wrote this list in Matthew? It was a man named Matthew, okay? And he, he, he wrote this list um, for, for a purpose, an agenda. Every gospel writer had this agenda. He wanted to present Jesus to a certain audience. He knew he was writing to a Jewish nation, and he wanted to prove to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament scriptures. Um, his agenda was influenced by the audience he was writing to. Any good uh, presenter of anything will, will, not, will ask who's the audience they're writing to. There's, a, there's an adage that says, if you ask an amateur person to speak, they will ask themselves, Which, what will I say? But if you ask an expert to speak, they will ask themselves, who is my audience? And so audiences, it means everything. And he wanted to present Jesus as the one they've been waiting for. He wanted to also present Jesus as not only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but also the son of Abraham and the son of David. And so he draws together these genealogies. He tells us all the way from Abraham through David to Jesus to show us as he's writing to a Jewish audience that Jesus is not only a king by his deity, he's also the king because he's the son of David, which gives him royal lineage in humanity. So he's a king by heaven's standards, and he's also a king by earth's standards. He wanted to present this to his Jewish audience, and he did so well. Because Jesus, he knew what he was coming to the earth to do. Jesus knew something, and there's two of the greatest gifts you could ever receive are to find out who you are and what you were put here to do. And so Jesus, he knew both of these things. Um, and if you could find out these things, you need to throw yourself a party that day when the day you find out who you are and what you were put here to do. Because you were put here on purpose, with purpose. God doesn't do accidents, okay? He didn't make, your parents might have said you were an accident, but God does not do accidents. You were only born, born on purpose, with purpose. And if you could figure that out, you can fulfill God's plans for your life. I'm telling you, if you can figure that out that this Christmas, that's better than unwrapping underwear or socks or it's better than unwrapping a new tie or some cologne. It's even better than unwrapping a car. Um, if you're looking for something for me, I could use a car, okay? So I'm just kidding. But this is your identity and your assignment. Do you know what yours is? 
Jesus knew what he was coming to do, and Matthew was trying to present that in his gospel. This is who Jesus was, and this is what he came to do. Do you know what yours is? Because if you do, then you're no longer identified by what you wear, by what other people say about you, by what you make in your job, by anything else other than what God created you to be and what he created you to do. This is your identity. Jesus, in Matthew, he knew his audience here. He, he knew who he was talking to. This is why Matthew links Jesus to Moses more than any other gospel writer. He was trying to present something in his gospel. He knew to the Jewish mind Moses was a prophet. And so he wanted his audience to see Jesus and, and through the light of Moses. He says, if you like the Old Testament Netflix special, the documentary of Moses, you're going to love the new, the new Netflix New Testament special called The Nativity. You're going to love this, okay? Because it ties into the old thing. If you love that, you're going to love this. It's the same script, different actors, and a better result. And what I mean by that is we see in the Old Testament, Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, but we see in the New Testament, Herod trying to kill Jesus. Same story, new actors, better outcome. Um, we see Moses was hidden in a basket and, and pushed into his purpose down the Nile River, and we see Jesus hidden in the Virgin Mary and pushed through the birth canal into his purpose. That's graphic, Pastor, I know. But <laughs> Moses was raised, a, a, he, was, he was a Hebrew, but he was raised an Egyptian. Jesus was God, but was raised a man. You see, it all ties together. After 400 years of slavery, Moses lifted up his staff and led people out of slavery. And Jesus, after 400 years of silence, came into humanity and led us out of our sin and slavery. It's, it's all tied together. And Matthew, he tries to bring this out in his gospel. He knew something about his day. He knew in your day you did not explain who you are by dropping off a resume of your past work experience. He, he knew it wasn't any of that. They, they didn't look at your credit score, your accomplishments, or your work history. You explained who you were through your family. And if I know who, who your family is, then I know your value and, and who you are because that's something that meant something in their day. Today we prepare a resume and we do all these different things, but when I know your family, it gives me context. I, there's an understanding that I get of you when I meet your family. Some of you are like, that's terrifying. I don't want you to meet my family this Christmas. Let me give some free marriage advice this morning if you're here and you're single and you go to get married one day when you're standing up on the altar and the, and the minister is about to do the vows, I want you to do something. I want you to turn and look. And on one side, you'll see your family. They don't really do it like this anymore. And on the other side, you will see her family. And I think you need to know something, that you are no longer just related to this, your family. You are now attached to her family. And that speaks for you and, and for your life. You're saying, I do to the entire family because you are shaped by your family. Family has something that shapes us. There's a philosophy of our family that gets ingrained in us. How many of you have said, I don't want to be like my dad when I grow up. I don't want to be anything like my mom. But then sooner or later, you get married and your wife or, or your spouse always comes to you and says, you are just like your dad. You are just like your mom. And you say, well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. I'm going to tell you right now, do not do that. More marriage advice, okay? Do not tell them they're just like their parents. Um, you, but the truth is, when you look at someone, you can see by their parents who they might be in about 30 years. 
You can, you can look at someone, you can look at a man before you marry him and see how he treats his mom and that's how he's going to treat you someday, ladies, um, when you get married to him because there's something about family that gets ingrained in us. And Matthew, he does something interesting when he lays out the family of Jesus here. He, he tells us 14 generations and then he breaks it up and tells us 14 more and then he breaks it up again and tells us 14 more. In all, 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. That's pretty cool. But I realized something because I was, I was um, looking at this genealogy versus Luke's genealogy of Jesus. And I noticed Matthew has 42 genera- generations, but Luke, it was written by a doctor, and he's much more thorough, I guess, because he wrote 77 generations from Adam to Jesus. Adam to Jesus. He went even farther. And I compared the two lists. And there's something I found interesting in Matthew's list that there's certain people that Luke included that Matthew didn't really include in his list. It's almost as if Matthew edited his list and edited some people out. And and you can't get mad at Matthew because if you're honest with yourself this morning, there's some people you're going to see this Christmas that you're going to look at and say, how in the world am I related to you? Can we be honest this morning? That we all have uh, the family members that we wonder that about and And I need you to know this morning that it was the custom of their day to delete people from their genealogy. If you had someone in your your family that would make you look bad, because remember, this is how your resume was. If someone was inappropriate or suspect or, let's put it this way, if someone was ratchet in your family, you would say, when I talk about my family and I lay out my resume, I'm not going to tell your name. Because this is talking about me, and, and if I want to present the best thing, then I have to, they have to know my genealogy is going to look better without you, and we still do this today. We present our best, don't we, on your Instagram account? Come on, you did not wake up like this, let's be honest. Um, on your Facebook account, on your bank account, because we think it adds value to our life just to present our best. And I think we can learn something from Matthew this morning, who did that same thing, um, But we see something interesting, and I don't understand how Matthew edited this text, because he edited this text, like we said, but the people he left in there strike me as strange. Like, if I was going to take out the worst people and leave the best people and make Jesus' genealogy look spotless, I would not put some of the people in there that Matthew put in there. And that's what my focus is this morning, um, because I think you probably haven't looked that closely at this list. You just skipped to the nativity, to the good part. You've heard about Joseph and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds and the, and the animals and all that that are around your nice little nativity scene. But can I add some more people to your nativity scene this morning? Can we add some more more people into the story of Jesus because I think we need to see the whole picture. I've seen your Instagram account. I know what it looks like. I know what you do. I see the picture of your two-year-olds and your three-year-olds and they look cute and sweet. And But to, let's be honest, two is not just their age. That's what time they wake up every single night, okay? It's not the best part. You got a cute little picture and everybody's happy, but let's be honest, there's some mess when, it, when we get to the reality of the thing. And so Matthew is not afraid to put this in the genealogy of Jesus. I think we need to look at the genealogy and let's add some women to this scene. First of all, I want you to see if Matthew was writing a genealogy for Jesus, in that day, women would not be included in a genealogy because that would mean nothing to their culture. Because in that day, women were seen as second-class citizens. 
That's why I love Jesus. I love this genealogy that Jesus is not afraid to allow a woman to be everything that God created her to be and exalt her and allow her to become everything that God wants her to be. My Jesus is not afraid to do that. And he, and he allowed them to be in, the geneal, in his genealogy that Matthew wrote here. And in fact, I want to address the men this morning real quick. I think that something has happened in this generation where women have stepped up and taken your place in worship. And I think it's time for men to arise and worship the way that that God created them to worship because there's power when men stand up and worship. And I got to be honest with you. I think this we've gotten too cool or too tough or something to worship. But can I, and, and I've heard it before, Pastor, God knows what's in my heart. I want to ask you this morning, why would you want something in your heart that you're not able to express outside of your heart? And you better learn how to worship because when your kids are sick or your family needs prayer, you better know how to get on your knees and lead your family and say, God, I worship you. I'm not afraid. In fact, I know how to fight in real life, not just outward fights, fist fights. I know how to spiritually fight. And that's how I fight my battles when I get on my knees and say, you know what, God, my family needs you. And I'm not afraid to fight the enemy off of my life and off of my family. We need some men to take their rightful place. You know what worship does? It attacks pride, and I think that's the problem with many men because it's impossible to worship and have pride. Try it after you get in an argument with your spouse. Try to go straight to worship. You cannot stay mad at your spouse. All of a sudden, the pride is like, oh. And God's like, go say you're sorry right now. I've tried it. Trust me, it's not fun. But... But I'm telling you, you cannot do it. And so there's something about worship that makes a man lay down his pride and say, God, you, I exalt you over my anger, over my issue, over my toughness. You are worth everything. We need some Davids to rise up in this generation and worship unashamedly. So we see in this genealogy of Jesus, back to the story, we see five women, including Mary. And we've heard about Mary, and I, I need you to notice this morning, five is the number of grace, and grace is what brings in people that other people would disqualify. And so what other people would write these people out of the genealogy of Jesus, God says, nope, bring them in. Can I have my, my illustrative Barbies, please? I want to add four other women to this story besides Mary that you may never have thought of. These are, of course, they're Disney princesses, right? How, what else would I use? But I think this morning it's important that we look at these. I wonder if I can set these people up like this. Nope, it's not going to happen. Okay. Anyways, I want to introduce four women to you this morning. And I think it's great that Jesus brought four women in, but the problem is who these women are. Okay, do you know who this is? Not Elsa. That's not what I'm talking about. This is Tamar. Okay, and God decided to allow Matthew to put this into the genealogy of Jesus. And you need to know some stuff about Tamar, okay? She was married to two brothers who both died. One died, and then in the culture of that day, they would give you to another brother so he could provide for you because a man was what provided for a woman, so the family was responsible for you if your husband died. So she married the second brother. He died. And so the father, Jacob, he promised her to a third son. And he didn't follow, or I'm sorry, the father Judah, but he didn't follow through, and so Tamar gets very upset. And so what she does, and I'm telling you, this is scandalous, okay? This is in the scripture. She dresses up like a prostitute, and she goes to a brothel that Judah frequents. And so Judah comes to the brothel, and they, you know, meet or whatever, and then uh, you you write your own story. It's it's PG-13, people. Um, And then she, she leaves, but she keeps... Judah's underwear. Okay, this is in the Bible, all right? You could go look it up for yourself. And so she goes and she's pregnant now, 
by her father-in-law, okay? And so she, she goes to her family, get together. Maybe it's Christmas time and they get together and Judah finds out you're pregnant. And he does not know that this is who he met at the brothel. And so Tamar says, okay, he's like, you know what? We're gonna burn you to death. How dare you get pregnant? You're disgracing our family. And she says, okay, but before you burn me, uh, let me show you something, okay? The person who got me pregnant owns these Hanes, okay? These right here. These whitey tighties, these are the guys who got me pregnant. And Judah realizes something in that moment, and he begins to say, let her go, let her go, you can't hold her back. No, I'm just kidding. Stupid, right? Stupid. That brings me to my first point this morning. If you're taking notes, God can use anybody. Point number one, God can use anybody. Okay, I want to talk about this second person here. This is not Elena of Avalor. This is Rahab. You need to know, Rahab did not pretend to be a prostitute. No, she didn't do that at all. She was a prostitute, okay? This was her job. And she, she um, the, the Israel comes into the promised land, and they come upon Jericho, and they send some spies in. Joshua sent some spies into the land, and they go and they stay at Rahab's house. How they knew where she lived, I don't know. We don't, we don't see that in Scripture. But they went right to Rahab's house, and they stayed with her. And God decided to use her in the genealogy of Jesus. She hides the, the spies from Israel, and her whole family gets saved. That brings me to my second point this morning, if you're taking notes. God can use anybody. Point number two. God can use anybody this morning. Uh, let's look at this third person. This is Bathsheba. And what I find interesting about this account and this genealogy that that Matthew gives of the birth of Jesus and all these people in the lineage, he doesn't even use her name. Okay, this is like, Matthew is throwing shade on Bathsheba, like TMZ, okay? He is like, you know, the... um, Let's put it this way, all right, we're not going to say her name, but she is the, uh, you know, the Solomon, her, his mom, and she, she had this husband named Uriah. That's all he says. The mother of Solomon, the wife of Uriah. And so we see this is how he, she's described in the scripture, and I found out something about Jesus, that he uses broken people. My point number four tonight is, guess what, God, point number three, God uses anybody. David, he, he's out, you know what, I should have used this one. Let's use this one, Ariel. He's out on his rooftop, and he's looking out, and he sees Ariel, no, not Ariel, Bathsheba, not under the sea, but in the bathtub, okay? And he likes what he sees, so he decides he's going to take her in, and he, he has, commits adultery with her and then murders her husband. Okay, so God, the man after God's own heart, David, um, He does this, and this is still called the man after God's own heart. Let me remind you. Why? Because God can use anybody. Okay, now my last person here, who haven't I used? Whatever, Anna, fine, I'm reusing her. Um, I realized something here about this this fourth person that I think we need to know is... um, Did I skip somebody? No, I did. Ruth. This is a Moabite, okay? This is Ruth the Moabite. And what you need to know about this is this was a pagan, and God would have not even, the the Israelites didn't even consider this person worthy of anything. They wouldn't even associate with this. This was a pagan person, a person who worshiped a false god. And she hooks up with Naomi, and Naomi gets her in touch with one of Naomi's family members because her husband died, who was Naomi's uh, son. He died, and so she follows Naomi, and she meets this man named Boaz, 
in this field, and she gets to marry this man named Boaz, this pagan, this Moabite, because she was faithful to Naomi. And that brings me to my fourth point, if you're taking notes. God can use anybody. I don't know if you got that this morning, but that's, my, that's it. It's all in the family. We see sexual sin. We see murder. We see scandal. We see teenage pregnancy in Mary, okay? God can use anybody. We see Tamar um, committing adultery with her father. It's scandalous. It's gross, but God can use anybody. And then I started to think, why would God use broken people? You know, the only thing I could come up with is that It's all he's got. That's it. Every single one of us is broken in some way. So my God chooses to use broken people because that's all he's got. And when you look at the nativity, you don't see these people. And you you know why everything else makes sense and makes it a beautiful picture when you have a nativity is because what's in the center? When you put Jesus in the center, broken things can become beautiful. And the same thing can happen in your life when you put Jesus in the center. The broken things in your life can be made beautiful and be used for his glory if you put Jesus in the center of it all. I can get the worship team to come back up and help me as I close. And I know you might hear these stories and think, well, it's just it's a genealogy and these, this is, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago. This is a long time ago, Pastor Brennan, and I don't know if I can even relate to this, but I need you to know it's still all in the family, even here at Encounter. I want to ask you to do something with me as I close this morning and the worship band begins to play, I want to ask you if we can be what one pastor calls a hot church this morning. And what that means is humble, open, and transparent. Because I think these things don't just apply to God using broken people back then. I think God uses broken people today. And I think if we're honest this morning with ourselves and with each other, we can see that God is still doing the same thing today. I want to ask you this morning to stand up with me. If you've ever had a season in your life or not yet, don't stand up yet. I haven't told you. Don't jump the gun. If you've ever had a season in your life where you were caught up in the party scene, but God still loves you and chooses to use you, will you stand up to your feet with me? Will you be hot this morning, humble, open, and transparent? If you're here this morning and you've been delivered from addiction and God still uses you in your life, will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? If you've gone through a divorce but God still redeemed you and saved you and loves you and wants to use you, will you stand up to your feet? If you've ever been shamed by church folks like Mary was but God still loves you and has a plan for you, will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? If you've ever struggled with sexual sin and God still loves you, I want to ask you to stand up to your feet with me this morning and I want you to look around and see, guess what? It's all in the family. That God, he's chosen to use some people in in this place just like he chose to use some broken people in the genealogy of Jesus and he's still doing the same thing today. My question for you is will you put Jesus in the center this Christmas? Will you allow Jesus to take his rightful place in the center of your life and everything broken that your eyes are on right now and everything that's going on around you, I want you to know that Jesus in the center makes something beautiful out of it because it's all in the family. Will the rest of you stand up to your feet with me this morning? I believe this morning that someone here needs to join the family. Maybe the enemy or people or the church or other, you know, these voices you've had in your life have disqualified you and made you feel like you are not good enough to be a part of God's family. You are not good enough to be included in his grace and in, the, in his salvation that he died for. I want you to know that you are, there is no place that you have been that Jesus cannot come get you. 
There is no, nothing that you've done that disqualifies you from being used by God. If that was true, I would not be standing front in front of you this morning. And those of you who know my past know how true that is, but my God can use anybody. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? If you're here this morning and you've, and you've been dealing with guilt or shame and you felt disqualified, I want to invite you to raise up your hand right where you're sitting and just say, Jesus, I want to be in the family. I want to be redeemed. I want to know that you love me. I want to know that, that I'm saved and that the, the price that you came to pay was not spent in vain. It was spent on me. Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. Would you raise your hand up with me right now? Just say, Jesus, I invite you in. Be the center. Father, you see these hands. I want you all to just pray with me in your own words. And if you raise your hand, I want you to pray in your heart and say, Jesus, I make you the center. It's not magical words that save you. It's a heartfelt prayer asking Jesus to come and be the center of your life and be the redemption for your sin and to make you new. Father, I believe there is there is gifting and, and anointing in this place. There is people that are called, Lord, that have been disqualified by the enemy or by their past mistakes. But this morning, I believe there's an awakening taking place in them that says, I am, no, I am never too far gone for God to use me and my, in what happened in my past is not going to discredit me or limit what God can do in my future. Right now, Lord, I pray that there's, there's just a boldness that would rise up in people in this place to say, it's not about me being good enough, it's about his grace, and his grace is sufficient for me. In my weakness, he's made strong. And right now, Jesus, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and move in this place, God, and allow people to see that they are not who they used to be, that you came and you died and you were resurrected, but you sent a comforter to be with us, God, to, to make us brand new every day, Lord, and I pray right now that that comforter, your Holy Spirit, would come and visit us in this place this morning as we worship you. Will you do me a favor and worship Jesus? And while we worship, I just want you to remind yourself where he brought you from, the brokenness he brought you out of, and he didn't discredit you, and he's not finished with you yet. Come on, let's worship him for what he did. He didn't just come and sit in a beautiful little nativity. It was messy, and what he's done in my life is messy, and I'm not too ashamed to give him praise for it this morning. Worship with me for a couple minutes. Every table is an altar. Every breath is a gift from you. Every moment is a treasure. Every day is a kiss from you. Every table is an altar. Every breath is a gift from you. Every moment is a treasure. Every day is a kiss from you. So let our hearts. So let our hearts be awake, be awake. So let our hearts be awake, be awake. Break the bread, break the bread, pour the wine. Let our hearts come alive in your presence, in your presence. Let our fear. Jesus. 
every Christmas, there are probably a lot of you that have a tradition that you get together with family and you all sit around the Christmas table. And maybe you have a prepared ham or a turkey or whatever it might be for your family. I want to encourage you to know that there's room at the table with Jesus. That the Christmas table for me doesn't just mean a table with my earthly family, but my heavenly Father invites me to sit down at a table with him. There's a story in the scripture about King David, and, and he had this best friend named Jonathan, and, and his dad was the king, and David was supposed to become the king, and he said to Jonathan, they were best friends, and he said, what can I do? And Jonathan said, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Always remember my family. He said, I'll do that. Time passes, David becomes king. Jonathan and his father pass away. And David remembers his promise to Jonathan and said, is there anyone in the, in the kingdom, anyone that you know of that I can bring into the kingdom and, and remember my friend Jonathan? And they said, well, he has one son. But there's a problem with him. All right, King David, I need you to know because I know the king's rules and we're not allowed to bring anybody crippled or anything like that before the king because that's unholy and that's the rules of the day. But David said, tell me about him. And they said, his name is Mephibosheth. And he's, he's broken. You see, he's lame because when, when the castle came under siege, they tried to run and his nanny picked him up and ran and she dropped him and he became lame at that moment. And he said, bring him to me. And every night, the Bible says that he dined at the king's table. And what I love about that is, you know what? Whether he could walk or not, when he's seated at the table, he looked equal with everyone else. He could have an audience with the king. And I don't know how wounded you feel or broken you feel, but I want you to know, when you're seated at the table with the king, he doesn't see your weaknesses. He doesn't see your brokenness. You have an audience where you can discuss things with them, and, they, and he brings you there equally. Father, in the name of Jesus, we cast off guilt or shame that has told us we're not worthy to be used by you we're coming to the table and we're sitting down we know you have a place prepared for us Jesus and I thank you Lord that you've invited us God we come this morning we come this week to the table Lord we won't forget that we are we're not saved by our works or anything that we've earned or deserved but you've invited us broken to your table come on give him praise if that's your story that you have a seat at the table that you don't deserve God we give you glory we give you praise because you chose us when we weren't worthy you came and you found us and you and you brought us in God and you said I love you and I have a place for you at my table. If that's you this morning and you have brokenness that you want prayer for, I want to invite some people up here to pray with you. I want to say before we go, we're going to worship for a few more minutes and I want to invite you up for prayer this morning. Whatever your need is, I believe there's people that are going to come together with you and we're going to come equally before the Father and say, we need you, Jesus. The King is at the table and he's waiting to hear from you. If you need to slip out at this time, I want to ask you if you're visiting with us, fill out a connection card in the seat in front of you. We're so happy you were here with us this morning. We have a free gift for you at the Welcome Center. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Come on, come up for prayer at this time if you need it. Let's worship.